Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. In this episode, we explore type eight. Trust is incredibly hard. Um, and I rarely will trust people unless, they've, unless I've seen their vulnerability first. Um, that is my default setting. Chris, hi. It's good to see you and be with you today in Asheville. Thanks, Sandra. It's great to be back with you. I'm excited that we're going to be exploring the contours of type eight today with our guest, Brian Ammons. Yes. So as we begin, uh, I want to invite our listeners to open all three of our brains. Remember, we have brains in our body and our heart and our mind. So um, as a way for us to take in this information and receive the gift of what we're going to hear today, I invite you to come with uh, a grounded presence, a grounded body, an open heart, and a curious mind. We want to invite the inner eight in each of us, for all of us have that little eight in us, to, to listen in today. And as we begin, take a deep breath. As we explore type eight, keep in mind that the focus of attention for this type is on what's out of control, what needs my control. In other words, where can I direct or make an impact? And of course, that kind of focus leads us blind to all the ways that eights need not make an impact or direct. Part of that focus of attention is on power. Who has it? Are they using it fairly? Aids have a scan, conscious or not, of fair or unfair. It's a type that creates dualities quickly. Fair, unfair? Are you with me or against me? Now or never? It's an all-or-nothing kind of black-and-white mental framework. Uh, so, so eights can lose the gray or that middle ground quickly. Lust is the vice of type, of this type, and lust is, in the German sense, that loosed for life, this, this live with gusto. Not necessarily sexual, but it's having a primal, having your desire, a primal instinct to have the desire met now. So there's no later to it. So it's often helpful for eights to keep in mind, can we move from lust to later? and slow down just a little bit. This is a type that has easy access to the life force. Energy comes up quickly, and they have a lot of it. They also have easy access to anger and a physical intensity, which may or may not be connected to that anger. The core avoidance of this type is vulnerability. And oftentimes, you'll hear eight say, well, the other person's just going to have to be vulnerable first before I will. And so to help us understand more of uh, the eight, we're uh, grateful to welcome uh, Brian Ammons as a guest with us today. Welcome, Brian. Yeah, thanks. It's great to be here with you. Brian is the Beeson Chaplain and Director of Spiritual Life at Warren Wilson College near Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, much of his work these days focuses on interfaith dialogue, vocational discernment, 
and disrupting the artificial divide between the secular and the sacred in the world of increasing nuns. And that's N-O-N-E-S, nuns. <laughs> um, Brian holds a PhD in curriculum and cultural studies, and he's taught and written and spoken on the intersection of spirituality and sexuality, particularly around the inclusion of LGBTQ plus persons in the church uh, in order to invite a richer conversation around sexuality for all people. Brian also works alongside his husband, Gareth Higgins, leading retreats and planning festivals. So again, Brian, welcome and thanks for being here. It's great to be here. I just want to say we're like four minutes in and I haven't interrupted anybody. And I... <laughs> Like, <laughs> did you like, have, did you have the, was oh there? my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Excellent. There it is, friends. Type eight. Yeah. I want to jump in. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> Good for you. Nice self-control, Brian. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> so I want to begin um, by reading this quote from uh, Samuel Ta- Taylor Coolridge and um, it goes like this. When you make the truth too definite, you make it too small. So Brian, anything in that that resonates with you as you kind of inhabit this, these patterns of type eight? I, I know that I'm really driven by a strong uh, sense uh, and search for truth, but I also have a strong distrust for anybody trying to lock that down. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as somebody tries to um, put boxes around um, our barriers around uh, a truth, then my immediate um, reaction is to try and push up against the barriers. Um, so I actually really, I like having strong containers, um, you know, both in communities and, um, and, and ideas. I like having boundaries that are clear, but I also as soon as I've got a boundary, then push against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the way that I try and figure out um, uh, what makes sense for me and where truth might lie. Um, what about your own tendency? Is this been true for you to have your own kind of truth, like your own barriers around your own truth? Like you push against others' truths, but mm-hmm. what about your own when you sort of say, boom, here it is? Um, uh, you know what? Uh, I, well, the thing that comes up for me in that is that um, I I really like it when other people push up against mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I'm constantly kind of re-examining mine. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I, it's fair to say it will be awkward to be in this conversation without re, without at some point naming that I'm, I have close relationships with both of y'all, so y'all know this <laughs> about me. So That's true. A, Thank you for naming that. Yes. Yeah. So, we, we, yeah. um, so I think I. I mean, I'm constantly kind of going back and revisiting what it is that I think that I um, that I hold uh, to be true, um, and relationships I trust most are people that are going to push up against mm-hmm. it and push up against what I've asserted. Um, I I tend to, uh, you know, like I, I kick at my own barriers, and I like it when other people kick at them, mm-hmm. um, and that's how I feel. Like I know that we're that we're still engaged Mm -hmm. relationships that have a hard time maintaining are people that don't push back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Brian, for me, sometimes I look at the word truth and truth with a little T would be opinions. Mm -hmm. And I've got a ton of them as an eight. And so when I can get real certain with my opinion, um, I lose a greater perspective, of course, but I'm very fast. I don't know about you to, to, 
bring forth my opinion. Oh, that's true. There's no doubt. And I tend to be somewhat suspicious of truth with a capital T. Right. Um, so I tend to, um, I, I mean, there was a point in my life that I think I dismissed the existence of any of that. And I, I don't know that I'm there anymore, but I, I'm really, I, it's hard for me to get to a place that I will, um, I tend to shy away from universals. Um, mm -hmm. and do a whole, but I have a whole lot of ideas that I believe a lot of things I believe very strongly. <laughs> right. Little T's. Yeah. Little lots truths. of little T's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the focus of attention as, as Sandra named, um, for a type eight is power and control or the sort of mm -hmm. like, you know, where is their power? Where's the, where's control? Um, how does that show up for you? Is there a story that comes up for you maybe about, or an example? Um, sure. I mean, I think it's interesting. I always kind of feel like I, like I want to push back on control, which is a very kind of controlling thing to do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's the part that I have the hardest time grappling with and I know that it's there in me. Right. So, um, but power, I know that I, I like, when I think about the way that I walk into a room, I, I, when I walk into any situation, I pretty immediately do a power map in my head. I figure yes. out, so what is the, what's, where's the formal power? Mm -hmm. Um, because I think it's important to know that because that becomes at times and, uh, strategically important, but I dismiss that pretty quickly and then figure out where's the real power. Mm -hmm. Um, so who is it that thinks that they're in charge and who's actually in charge in any given room? Um, and you know, my way of, uh, navigating that, I mean, I, it's so instinctual for me. Um, it sounds like I'm, it sounds so much more Machiavellian when I say it out loud, but, um, I align myself with, with real power, um, uh, sometimes over against formal power, often sort of working around formal power. Mm. I mean, that's tends to be the way that I work and, you know, in, in social settings as well as in professional settings, that's always kind of been uh, my place. I, As a result, uh, I'm a really good number two. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have tended to have uh, one of two kinds of relationships with supervisors. Either it was a clash, um, in which case I didn't stick around very long, um, or I was the the confidant. And, and the one that was kind of helping them figure out how do we, how do we actually get done what we need to get done? Mm. Um, so I, uh, I've, I've also, uh, I mean, I think, um, more vulnerably, I mean, uh, we've talked about this a lot, um, in the past that I, I have my way of feeling safe in a space, um, has also often been, I'm either gonna know your little secret or I'm going to be your little secret. I'm going to find sort of where the vulnerability is. Mm. And when I meet people in power, um, then that's, uh, that's always part of the way that I navigate that whether or not I do it intentionally. And I find myself sometimes unconsciously doing that. And sometimes I'm very conscious of it, of um, recognizing I'm going to know where the vulnerability is and, Generally, I'm going to make sure that people that have some power over me 
also know that I know where their vulnerability is. I'm so scared that my boss is going to be listening to this. I love my boss, and we have a great relationship. <laughs> as I'm saying this, it sounds so much creepier than I mean to. But, but there's a truth that is a. Um, I think I knowing that uh, that place where um, at and its darkest and most shadowy form, it's the you know I could take you down. Right. Right. Um, and that, and I, and I probably will never push that button or flip that switch. But, but why is it important that you have the ability to do that? I grew up with a lot of vulnerability. Um, I, I'm, you know, I grew up queer in the South. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a, a survivor of, of sexual violence. Um, and I think I, I walked through the world with a strong sense of kind of, uh, you know, never again. Mm-hmm. I also grew up on a children's home campus. My parents worked there and I, um, so I grew up with kids that had been pretty beaten up by the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in a space that, um, like I, my, I look out for my tribe. Um, I'm intensely loyal. Um, and it's interesting. A lot of folks on who know a little bit about the Enneagram, but not a lot when they first meet me. And even some folks that know quite a bit about the Enneagram are surprised to hear me say that I lead with an eight. Mm. Um, because I think our, our assumptions and stereotypes about that are these very sort of John Wayne yeah. right. kind of figures. Right. Right. And I'm not that. Right. Um, I am what really shows up. I've got a really strong kind of mama bear instinct. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like just, don't mess with my people. Protection. Yeah. yeah. And if you come, uh, like you can come after me and I can take it, but don't go after my people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always been, I mean, that's always been part of my story. Yeah. Um, so for me, it is both about, um, one, making sure that I'm safe, but even more so making sure that I'm ready to intercede if somebody is getting ready to cross a boundary with someone else. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that I'm going to be the one that's looking out for it. The shadow, again, one of the shadows of that for me is that I've, um, I've tended to look at the world uh, in terms of people I need to... Uh, hmm, people who might be dangerous and people that they might hurt. Um, so sort of people that I need to, um, that need to be protected and people that they need to be protected from. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it can be, it has been like the growth path for me has been able just allowing other people to even show up on my radar, um, to invest energy in other relationships and people that neither need to be protected or that I need to be looking out. Right. Who are, yeah. Who are those people? <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Um, do they exist out there? <laughs> they do. I know a few. It tends to be a space that I, um, it, so like friendships for me with people who, except for with, with eights, other eights, it's very, very easy for me to step into friendship because mm-hmm. we kind of do the thing and kind of figure out the power thing. And then it feels like we sort of join up in this project of um, kind of, uh, you know, protecting people or, or, or fighting against the people that we need to be fighting against. Um, so kind of just settling in. Mm. Uh, and I think the people that are, I mean, uh, yourself included, certainly, I mean, people that have been, that are close friends of mine that have been close friends of mine over time know that like, I have the hardest time keeping those folks on my radar. Mm. 
you know, people that I love dearly, um, that until they're in crisis, I, I'm pretty crappy at keeping in touch. Mm. Like, but if they're in crisis, then I'll be there in a minute. Right. Um, and I think that tends to be, that's been a growth edge for me for, for mm. years. Mm. So that would be probably your particular style of eight. Yeah. Maybe not all eights would right. be like that, but you certainly are bringing forth that internal duality of yeah. who needs protecting and who's, who's the fight with. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, Brian, um, I'm strong. I can take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, by golly, <laughs> it turns out I believe that might be an illusion, you yeah. know, as oh, you do no know. Yeah, yeah. But it is an idealized self. In the mind of an eight, the eight believes I'm strong. I can take it. Mm-hmm. When in fact, we're just so fragile and tender, but it's that piece of ourselves that we forget. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah. And I often find myself... Um, it's interesting now, and as I, you know, get older and have more experience, then I recognize um, at best I can be strong in the moment, um, but the impact on me is really pretty intense. Um, I'm sort of a delayed processor, um, so I can show up with folks in crisis. I can show up, and I can take heat pretty well, and I can be in it, um, but it wipes me out. Um, and usually, uh, it's, I mean, it's that self-forgetting piece. It shows up in my body then, um, you know, three or four days later or a week later. Um, and then I'll have a day when I, when it's, when I can barely get out of bed. Um, and, and as body types, eight, nine, and one are the body-based um, intelligence types. We also are the people who most forget the body. Mm-hmm. And you just gave us a great example yep. of that, Brian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know when I'm tired. I don't know when I need to slow down or rest. Right. Yeah. And you remind us the self-forgetting types, also eight, nines, and ones, right? That right. Thank you, Chris. That. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, and, and part of the self, I'm, you know, sort of the, the upside of that self-forgetting type is that I can show up big, right? It's part of what really works for me in my, in my chaplaincy role, right? Mm-hmm. Like when there's a big thing, I can show up in it and I can be fully present to that for a little bit. Um, now I have to be very con. I, I've developed the skills to be very conscious and intentional about saying, like, okay, I'm going to have to go take care of myself after this. I'm going to have to figure out what it is that I need, and I know that if I don't, then I get tripped up pretty quickly. What, Brian, um, what supports that tenderness, that vulnerability in, to show up, to, for you to, to be able to access that or be with that part of yourself? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I talked about, about containers earlier, mm-hmm. and I, I, mean, I think that's a, it's a huge deal for me. I mean, whether it's just in a one-on-one relationship or in a work environment or in a team, I'm um, in a community, a, a faith community, I'm, I need to trust that the container is solid. Mm. And I rarely will go to a vulnerable place unless there's somebody else mm. there that mm. I know is holding, um, holding that boundary. Um, uh, I think honestly, it's part of what is, uh, easy about friendships with other eights mm-hmm. is that it's, I, I trust pretty quickly 
like you're gonna fight for me um if i if i need somebody if i go vulnerable what what i'm my biggest fear and some of this is tied up in in particular story but i think some of it may be tied to um tied to leading with eight as well i my biggest fears are that like if i need you you're not gonna be there or you're just going to meet me with your need. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that if I show up with my need and all I can get is your need in return, then I have a really hard time trusting that environment. Um, so in, in personal relationships, it's often like I need you to be able to hold tight, to hold a container safe enough for me to, to drop. Um, because as soon as I start to doubt whether or not that's there, then I'm going to retreat. And for me, usually that's going to mean that I'm going to get back into my protector role mm-hmm. and I'm going to shift back yeah. into protector. Right. That's right. Are yeah. you strong enough to have my back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing that you just said, which struck me, Brian, is that, um, can you, can you imagine ways by showing up to meet other people's needs in times of crisis that that contributes to people only showing up to you with their Oh yeah, with their need or vulnerability. <laughs> yes, I can imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> How we do set it up. I mean, yeah. every type does this, right? Mm-hmm. We each type sets ourselves up for what we most don't want, or most, right. you know. Oh yeah, and that's kind of an example of like you're like, I don't want people just to show up with their need. I want them to show up and have my back. But but there's a way in which you can contribute to that way of people showing up with you. Yeah, and I have, I've learned that I've got to have places. And for me, this ends up being role identified as well, right? I have to have places where I'm not showing up as chaplain. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I've got to have containers in my life. And I've got a couple of those um, that I'm really intentional about. And I, it, took me, it took me a good long while to figure that out. Mm. Um, uh, you know, the thing that's coming up, and I'm sure it's coming up in part because I'm talking with you, Chris, that there's a, um, you know, the first time that I ever learned about Enneagram stuff at all was with was sitting with you uh, mm. when, when we were staffing a summer camp together. Many moons ago. Many, many <laughs> moons ago, right? Um, it was the first time I ever heard anything about it. And, and we sort of, for a while, kept trying to think that I was leading with seven. Mm. Um, and I think that's because I've got a playful spirit and... Um, but there was something about the way that, you know, the relationship with two and five that made sense to me. And, and I eventually started discovering, and, and it really actually, some of my connecting with understanding myself as an eight came to when I started reading women writers um, and, and hearing women who were talking about being an eight, um, which was really interesting for me. Um, I think partly because the mama bear stuff showed up more. Right. And that versus the kind of John Wayne kind of stuff that right. was showing up. Um I started going like, oh, so there's a, there's some interesting gender dynamics and all of that, yes. and the way that eights are sort of, and the way that eights manifest their identities. And I don't really know what to do with that, other than the fact that I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, um, sort of learned, um, something about the way that my eight expresses itself, particularly mm-hmm. by hanging out from eight women, hanging mm-hmm. out with eight mm-hmm. women. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene. Um, I can't believe I'm going to talk about an X-Men movie, but there's a scene in an X-Men movie, and I know I'm not like a comic geek enough to know what, I think it's the second one, um, where uh, Jane Grey has this, like when she steps into her feelings and intensity, it just, 
expands and extends and like literally will destroy things mm. around her. Mm. Um, and Wolverine, who was, you know, nearly indestructible, um, can holds her and they need the intensity of her energy for whatever the situation is. But I, I remember seeing that and just weeping this thing of going, that's what I so long for is that when I get big, you can handle it. Mm. Um, and I think I spent so much of my life trying not to be big, um, and failing miserably at it. Um, and, and I wonder too, if there is part of this gendered piece and I don't want to get overly simplistic around it. Um, I think that there is some truth that as a, a, a young queer man in the South, that there was this, that it wasn't safe for me to be as big as I felt. Mm, right. Sure. Mm. There was this fear of that. If I really tap into this anger, mm-hmm. um, that one is going to overwhelm me and overwhelm every, everyone around me. And it, and I won't be safe. That's right. I can't express this. You will literally get your, right. Get beaten up or whatever. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. There yeah. was this real, real fear in that. And, um, I, a lot of my work in, in recent years has been um, trying to find containers and build containers, be a part of containers that can hold some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the world is shifting, recognizing um, recognizing that. So my anger always sort of uh, came out sort of very strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and often was turned on my, I mean, in, in my, and my adolescence and early adulthood was turned on myself. I mean, like, like a lot of AIDS, um, addiction is part of my story and history. Mm-hmm. I've been in recovery for a long time, but, um, that there was, I, I needed to, to deaden that intensity mm-hmm. and it didn't feel safe, um, until I could find, and I, I mean, I, I, I rode my addictions like a life raft until they fell apart, but then there was, that's when I started finding communities that could hold it mm. and that I could, could That's abide lovely. with me and could yes. see it. Um, and that I could trust that there were people, um, that could know all of my story, know all of where I've been, knew all of my fears and that could still show up the next day. very four sponsor who uh, I think was early sponsor who was uh, um, uh, you know a truck tribe and tattoo artist who now does pet portraits um, oh. and, and is like this like sweet <laughs> teddy bear of a man that like presents really tough um, uh, and uh, I remember him sort of teaching me I'm going to say it more kindly shut up as a as a spiritual practice, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> like somebody that would push back when I was kind of pushing against all of that, that could say, just stop, just stop. And can you trust that I'm still here? Mm. Um, and I remember, um, I, you know, after telling him my whole story, just so sure that he was going to run away. Um, and that he kept showing up. Mm. So, um, I, I think that's been that's always the that's always the the deep longing for me. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. And probably the part that 
I know is true, but that part of why I resist the whole thing about control, because I know part of what I do, and that is I try and control the environment to keep, I do this with my partner now, and I know I do it, um, <laughs> but I'm constantly kind of micromanaging little aspects of his world to make sure that he'll be there. Um, <sighs> and also to make, it, it's two pieces, it's kind of make sure that he'll be there with me, and then also make sure that he's safe when I'm not there. Mm. Um, that there are, when he goes out into the world, how do I do my part to make sure that he's going to be okay? Um, you know, you're just, it, my heart is so touched listening to you, Brian, because you're really speaking um, from just this soft part of you. <laughs> you know, how much you care for your beloved and how you want to make things safe for him and how you don't want him to leave you. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And you're looking for people who will stay and trust does not come easily for AIDS. Oh, not at all. Yeah. No, not at all. I will, um, trust is incredibly hard. Um, and I rarely will trust people unless they've, unless I've seen their vulnerability first. Mm. Um, that is my default setting. It's mm -hmm. again, been part of the growth path for me is mm -hmm. to recognize that if I open up and share some of my vulnerability, then um, mm -hmm. then I can invite and create the sort of spaces that and relationships that I'm longing for. Um, uh, but I, it's hard for me to trust. Um, that is a particular way uh, or strategy of AIDS, whether mm -hmm. it's conscious or not. And the other strategy is the, the opposite of that, which is I'm going to power up mm -hmm. and see if you stay. Yeah. Or see if you'll stay and continue the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I do that too. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. Um, Brian, in, um, I want to I wanna make sure we spend some time with the gifts of, no, sure. of the eight. And so in your current relationships and your current roles, so work, mm -hmm. family, that sort of thing, what are some of the gifts of the eight that, that you're able to access and, and um, offer? Mm -hmm. So I'm in a, you know, my, my primary relationship, um, my, my husband is, is a four, leads with four. Um, I've got a lot of fours in my life. You do have a lot of fours <laughs> in your life. This one included. included. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to run with fours and eights, occasionally sixes. Um, so it's a, but, um, and in that relationship, and I think it's true in our friendship as well, that like the intensity, wow, we just meet that intensity and that can be, um, there can be something really exciting. And as long as we can get it moving in the same direction, it can be, really powerful. One of the gifts that I've got is that I, I move to the pragmatic pretty quickly. Um, that I'm not a, uh, and it's interesting cause it's not necessarily my skill set. I'm not a great organizer. I'm, I have a strong need for there to be organization, mm -hmm. um, that there needs to be a plan. Um, that I, uh, and I think when I think about, you know, my relationship with Gareth, that it's often, Gareth is such a, a beautiful dreamer and visionary. And um, so I think a lot of role, my role in his life, um, sometimes annoyingly so, is sort of like, yeah, okay, how are we going to make that happen? Right. And, um, and then some of my, you know, as we were developing our patterns, figuring out sort of what are the ones that are sticking and what are the ones that are things that he's dreaming and, and putting out there? And then we'll see if they 
find legs or not, <laughs> which I try and put legs on every single one of them. Oh my. Are you remembering I'm, our trip I, to Ireland? Yes. <laughs> well, and I'm also laughing because this is my marriage as well, oh, okay. which is, which is, you know, I put things, I, yeah. I had to, uh, my husband had to learn not to operationalize every single idea I had. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And not attach to it and get all in, like anxious or whatever about right. it. I was like, Hey, I'm just thinking about things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also, so that's a, uh, you know, I think one of the other gifts is that I lean in when other people lean back. Mm. Um, Say more. I think, you know, this is really, it, this shows up a lot in my professional life right now. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm the chaplain at a, in a community that is um, largely folk who don't identify within a religious tradition. Uh, I'm slightly more than half of our students don't I identify with any religious tradition at all. And the second large, about 10 or 15% are other. So mm -hmm. it's a, um, the sort of what's a chaplain doing here. Um, there's, is, is a question that I, I ask myself a lot early on. And then a couple times a year, there's some point where we find ourselves sitting around the table and something big is going on and everybody else kind of, um, steps back or looks at me and I'm, I've leaned in. Mm. Um, and I don't know exactly what, um, what that is. I know that there's a piece of like, I can go into, I can go into tough stuff. I think about the, the beautiful moments of grace that I've been invited into and, you know, um, uh, walking with a friend as she's going into the room to see her body's hus her husband's body after he had, just died mm. um and kind of having this awareness of going like i didn't flinch like why did i not i recognize that i don't I, I don't know what that's about but i know that when there are stuff that a lot of other folk find scary i'm right there mm -hmm. and i'm in it um and i find myself drawn into those places maybe it's drawn to the intensity and maybe it's also a sense of um taps into that part of me that I want to, I want to create safe space for you mm -hmm. in this. And mm -hmm. I can, I'm really good at holding space for other people mm -hmm. to show up with their vulnerability. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm great at getting stuff off the ground. I'm not always great at, at making sure it all uh, comes together once it's off the ground, but moving, I can sit with a group of people that are all in this sort of idea stage. And at the end of it, I'm going like, all right, so what are we doing? Where's mm -hmm. the action plan? Mm -hmm. I need an action plan. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think I, in a team, I can be really, uh, that can be super helpful. Um, I think I, I also really love that, um, that sense of fairness, that strong sense of fairness um, uh, has called me into solidarity to stand with, um, stand with other folk. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got a long history of uh, of being involved in social justice work, and for a number of causes. I mean, I think there's a piece for me that I um, I see some of that sense of fairness of going like, wait, we can't just be fighting. I can't just be fighting for people like me. Right. This always has implications for other communities and whatever I've experienced. And I as has kind of opened me up to say, like, I, what's it mean for me to stand in solidarity? Mm. Um, mm. So. Uh, last question, Brian. Um, uh, at this point in your life, uh, given given your type, given the, that you lead with eight, what do you think is your um, greatest invitation to grow right now? 
I mean, it's always tied up in vulnerability and, um, and in trusting my environment. Um, I think there's a, the piece for me is, um, can I let down my armor? Mm -hmm. Um, it's to, it's to show up, um, and trust that something, um, that what I'm stepping into is, is, is safe and that I'll be okay and that other people will be okay and that it's not my job to hold it all. Mm -hmm. You know, I got real fixated for a long time on the story of Francis, um, standing in the town square and giving away all of his, giving all of his clothes back to his father and showing up naked. Um, and I think there is a piece for me about, um, um, stepping into my nakedness mm. and, and being able to show up, show mm. up with my mm. vulnerability. And I, mm. I know when I'm at my best, then um, I'm willing to go there. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for this rich conversation, Brian. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, it's beautiful and powerful and all of those and vulnerable too. So I feel yeah. like I need to get like really angry and cuss a lot or something just so that I don't mess with people's assumptions about who hates art. We do that too. Like I'm really foul mouthed. I'm behaving really well. Um, I've seen it. Both ends. Both ends. That's right. That's you right. know, it's always important to know in any archetype, the opposite is always true. Mm, yeah. So right. you've, yeah. you've, Allowed us to, to see both. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Yeah. So to, in this particular episode, um, some questions for the deeper dive for the eights who may be listening and the inner eight. When does certain certainty most easily get activated in you? The need for certainty. When does that get activated? Why? And then why is waiting scary? That is the great spiritual discipline of type 8, waiting. We are not good at it. Why is that scary? And what supports you in waiting? What tells you that you are overusing energy, that you're amplifying? How do you know the level of intensity you're engaging? What tells you that? So with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Sandra. And I'm Chris. And we invite you to continue to look courageously and lovingly at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity, for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who composed our theme music, and for Toby Becker, who provided graphic design. Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner, who provided recording space and to the narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And special thanks to all of our guests. We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth. And in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.